we met every single one of our kids' needs, they would never, they actually wouldn't develop that sense of I am me and you are you, right? Like when we're born, we're sort of like, there is this sort of sense of merging. Like a baby doesn't really know where they end and their mother begins. Mm. But over the course of misattunements between the child and the mother or the whoever's taking care of that infant, they start to realize like, oh, I'm a different, I'm me and you're you. There's there are two people here. And that space between us, that's the relationship. What is up, podcast community? My name is Michael Chernow, and this is the Creatures of Habit podcast. Habits are everything, and on this show, I will be interviewing some of the most inspiring, motivated, and high-performing humans on the planet to learn about the daily habits, routines, and rituals that help keep them focused, determined, on top of their game, and ultimately, happy. My journey from the depths of addiction and misery to success as a family man and serial entrepreneur was only made possible by replacing bad habits with great ones. And my mission in life today is to share that story and the story of others with you to bring value and life-changing tools to as many people as possible. So sit back, relax, and pay attention because what you hear in this podcast today can potentially change your life. Let's go. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Creatures of Habit podcast. Today, I've got a guest, a, a very interesting guest, a, a new kind of guest for the Creatures of Habit podcast. Today, we're going to talk about parenting and best practices in parenting, habits around parenting. And I have uh, Dr. Sarah Bren with me, who is a podcaster. She is a clinical psychologist. She has a practice up in Pelham, New York. We're in New York. We're in New York City right now. She, her practice is in Pelham, um, the Upshur Bren Psychology Group. She also has a number of parenting courses that you can take online. The Science of Tantrums, definitely a course that <laughs> Probably anybody who's a parent listening to this podcast right now would be interested in learning more about. Um, tantrums are a real thing. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to have Dr. Sarah with us today to really just dive into parenting. I'm a father of two young boys. Uh, I think a fair amount of people that listen to this podcast are parents as well. And any time I've shared about my personal habits around parenting, uh, my, my wife and I, um, our, our habits around parenting... We've got, I've got amazing feedback, like amazing feedback, and, and it's such an interesting topic to discuss because really I think parenting, like anything else, is it's basically a culmination of daily decisions that you make will, will ultimately manifest into greatness or lack thereof. So I'm really excited to learn what those decisions on a daily basis could and should be. Uh, for us. Dr. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, you know, we, we talked briefly before before we got in here about just this idea around habits and parenting and mm -hmm. your habits around parenting because, I mean, you're, you deal with this. This is like what you do, right? Yeah. I mean, I am a parent too. So like I work with parents all the time, but I also have my own two kids and they're little and they run me around. And I think for me, you know, the work I do with my, like the families that I work with, it's it's informed by like research and psychology and child development and parental mental health. But like when I became a parent, that wasn't really what I was doing psychologically in my psychological world. I was working with like adults with trauma. Like uh, that's my background mm. is like adults with like chronic childhood attachment relationship traumas, um, kind of kids, pa adults who as children kind of didn't get 
what they needed from their environments or whatever. And when I had kids and I started really getting interested in the science of parenting and like the psychology behind it and child development, I was like, oh, wow, like a lot of what I'm learning that is either common parenting practices or maybe perhaps more current neuroscience, what we know about the brain and development, what, 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 what's, what that field has been informing parenting mm. or the way that neuroscience has been informing parenting in the last 15, 10 years, it's still pretty new. Um, like I didn't learn it in grad school. Like um, that, it shifted the way I parent. And so what I, you know, I'm still a total human being and I definitely lose it with my kids and I, you know, do all the things, I break all the rules because I'm a human. And I think that's actually, when I when we talk about habits in parenting, I think probably one of the most important habit that you can have as a parent is to say, I'm not going to get this right all the time and I'm going to keep trying. Because the perfectionism in parenthood is such, it's such a downer. It's mm. so big and everybody feels so much pressure. And I don't think it's good for parents and I don't think it's good for kids. If you, you know, a, a question that I have that I think, I mean, I have my opinions about it and we can talk about that, but I really would be interested for a professional in the field with kids, structure or loose? It depends on your kid. Uh-huh. I would say you, and I really think, and this is my like beef with parenting stuff in general, and like I'm a person who posts on social media and I have a podcast on it, and sometimes it gets distilled down into like too simple of a soundbite, and then people lose the context. And so we hear all these things, it's like kids need structure, but kids need to play in the dirt, and kids need to have a lot of freedom, but you shouldn't helicopter, but you also shouldn't, you know, let them run wild. You should be in control of your kids at all times, and you're responsible for their behavior. It's like, okay, there's too much happening and being thrown at parents. Mm. I really think there's so much noise around parenting and what you're supposed to do right and what rules you're supposed to follow. And I think we have lost sometimes our ability to like tune into our kid and be able to say, like, well, what does my kid need? What's their style of learning? What's their way of moving their body? Are they a kid who, who thrives with lots of structure, lots of predictability? Do they run a little anxious? Do they kind of need to know a little bit more about what's going to happen next? Mm-hmm. Do we have to move slower? Are they quick to open up? Do they need a lot of engagement? Do they need a lot of action and novelty to feel like not bored and restless? Like you got to know your kid. You got to know their nervous system. You got to know what their interests are. So, but it's, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm like, gosh, it's so interesting because, I mean, there really are, like every kid's got its own person, mm-hmm. every kid got its, got its own person, every human being has their own personality, right? Yes. And I do, I just, I'm curious to know, like, what percentage of a human being's personality is inherited from... Mm-hmm decisions made by parents. So it's interesting because you talk about nature and nurture and, you know, there's a little bit of nature and there's a little bit of nurture and which is it? And I think what we're starting to understand much more about like epigenetics and like the way that relationships interact, like like we have an interconnected nervous system right now. Like if I flinched, you'd flinch, mm-hmm. right? Like our brain is reading each other's brain and scanning for cues of safety and danger all the time. 
So it's not, I don't think you can isolate nature and nurture completely because one informs the other so Com- in a, such a complex way. So to your question of like what percentage is our child's personality like where they were born? Like, yes, we have temperament. We have biology. We have just like the structures in the brain. And then you have development. So like your prefrontal cortex, your thinking brain, the part of your brain that like has your reason and your language and all this, you know, problem solving skills, all that. That's like takes 26 years to be fully developed. It's that right? Mm-hmm. 26 years. Wow. So, and importantly, the part, that's the part of the brain that has, like, uh, the, the inhibition of impulse, the reason, and, like, it, like, how do you perspective take? How do you have empathy? How do you share? How do you take turns? How mm. do you not hit your sibling when they take your block? Like, that part of the brain isn't done until 26. A two, three, four, five-year-old, it's just so early in development and we have these really high expectations for kids to be able to do these things or sometimes they can do it because they're regulated and we expect them to be able to do it all the time I just I guess the question is is like being a parent and my currently my life you know no longer living in New York City no longer you know being a restaurateur I kind of gave up that career path and, and have started a new career in direct to consumer wellness but I now I have a lot more time now, and I'm and I, and I'm like so grateful for that. I'm I'm like a real, we're like a we moved out of the city. I live in upstate New York. I'm like a I'm like a parent for yeah. real, you know. And so we hang out with other couples with kids. Like yeah. that's what we do, you know. There's a lot. It's everything is a literally every decision we make is with other parents around what we're going to do with our families. Yes. You know, that's totally. basically what it is. Parenting life. Yeah, and I and I love it. I, I really do. It's just so interesting to see different types of kids. Yeah. Different types of kids. And you yeah. and sometimes you say, "Okay, well that 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 child is super quiet and introverted. That child is like off the wall, like bouncing <laughs> off the walls, like jumping on tables and flipping things over." And then, you know, and that kid is like friends with everyone and really kind and you know yeah. and so like there are the, there's these different personalities like yes. running all over the place totally how much influence can the parent have on that a lot but I think it's important to kind of I'm very visual the way, the way I would explain it is like your child is your child they are who they are from the minute they were born they are who they are right but every interaction they have with you is going to inform who they become and every new piece that gets put into their blueprint. So when we talk about attachment relationships, for example, which is like that relationship you have with this like primary safe person in your life, right? My you, kids with their what? With their mom. Yeah. And <laughs> and with you. Like we have multiple secure figures in our life and attachment figures. Mm-hmm. Those early relationships create kind of like a blueprint for us. Like mm-hmm. think about with your parents, right? When we were growing up. The whoever we felt attached to, whether it was secure or insecure attachment, right? We did, we all attach. It's the question is how good is that attachment? Mm-hmm. What's the quality of that relationship? But that we encode that, right? We internalize that. We use that as a blueprint that we then carry with us internally to predict how new people in the world are likely to re- receive us, respond to us. How safe do we think they're going to be? How likely are they to meet our needs? How likely are they to be interested in understanding my perspective on things. Hmm. 
that's secure. Like if we think, if we have these secure relationships early on, we tend to create a pretty secure blueprint. So and we tend t- to just talk to, to us about a secure relationship and an insecure relationship. So like the theory of attachment is very simple. It basically says that human beings from birth are hardwired to bond and form uh, an attachment bond with their primary caregiver. And that is intended to increase like proximity and security so that you're more likely to survive. Um, and there's it's, it's just evolutionary based, biologically hardwired. And you as the parent too go through structural changes in your brain, the dads and moms too. You don't have to go through pregnancy to have these changes. Um, but there's a period of time called matrescence or patrescence when you become a parent, it's kind of like adolescence, but when you become a parent, you go through this developmental phase where there's structural changes to your brain and your biology that makes you more inclined to attach to your child. You're, mm. You become more attuned to your child. Um, and so when a parent is able to, when a parent and child basically are able to have a relationship where the child reliably, reasonably anticipates that the parent is going to reliably meet their needs most of the time, their needs for safety and security and to be soothed when they're upset, it's a threat response thing. Like mm-hmm. if I go into a threat response, if something's scary, if I'm in danger, I believe that my parent is going to come and help me. And it can be micro and macro, you know, dangers. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. They feed me. You know, I'm cold. They make me warm again. I'm scared. They comfort me. Now, importantly, you don't, a parent does not need to do this every time correctly. That's, I think, where the perfectionist of parenting comes in, where we yeah. think, like, oh, my God, I have, if my, in order for my kid to have a secure attachment with me, I have to, like, constantly make them feel safe and meet their needs and never be scary and, like, never lose my cool and I have to always make them happy. That's not this, this at all, right? That's um, not realistic and also not really healthy. If we met every single one of our kids' needs... They would never, they actually wouldn't develop that sense of I am me and you are you, right? Like when we're born, we're sort of like, there is this sort of sense of merging. Like a baby doesn't really know where they end and their mother begins. Mm. But over the course of misattunements between the child and the mother or the whoever's taking care of that infant, they start to realize like, oh, I'm a different, I'm me and you're you. There's, there are two people here. And that space between us, that's the relationship, and so that's a really important part of development. So if we like try to meet our kids' needs and never, ever, ever misattune to them, mm. then they're never going to really – you get an enmeshed relationship. That's not really optimal for development. So the idea of the good enough parent is optimal. Like you will mess up. You will misattune to your child. You will piss them off. You will, you know, sometimes lose it and be scary. Um, the more important part is that we come back together afterwards and we reconnect and we reestablish that sense of safety. Like, whew, I got, I got really upset there. I mm. lost my cool. I'm sorry. I mean, this is also such interesting stuff. I, I mean, I think one of the things that I've said just in general in life, right, there's only one thing I believe we have to do perfectly. Only one thing, period. And that's just get back up. That is the mm-hmm. one thing I believe that in order to, in order to feel a sense of fulfillment and happiness. It's not about not failing. It's not about winning all the time. It's not about like not like totally letting yourself down or letting other people down. It's about how well can you get back in the ring. Yeah. You know. And when you model that for your kids, 
that also gets put in their blueprint. Like, oh, this is how we repair after we, we get just upset. Get back. And it's not that we're not supposed to get mad or we're not supposed to yell or we're never supposed to do anything, quote, bad or angry, but that when we do afterwards, when we're calm again, because those feelings come and they go, when those feelings of anger or fear or frustration go, we come back together and we say, oh, we just had that. That just happened. Mm -hmm. That was tough. Oof, we made it. Now we're back together. We're okay. Are you okay? I'm okay. We're good. Um, we name it. We don't sweep it under the rug. We take responsibility. If we yell, we say, I shouldn't have yelled. I'm sorry. Not, but you were doing that thing. Right. <laughs> you can teach them to do something different, but that's not in the apology. Mm -hmm. You know, teach them later. In a calm, connected moment, when you're snuggling in bed, you say, hey, remember earlier today when I really lost my cool? You know, I think one of the reasons I got so frustrated is because I kept having to ask you like over and over and over to do this thing. And you just kept ignoring me and it got me really frustrated. Like, I'm sorry, you know, I, we already said I'm sorry that I yelled earlier, but, you know, I'm sorry that I yelled. And and also, like, what, do, what can we do different tomorrow so that we don't have the same fight again? Like, what could we do? Is there something that, that I could say differently? Is there something that would help you get ready in the morning a little bit easier so that I don't have to ask you 10 times? Mm. So you're problem solving. You're collaborating. It's us against the problem. It's not me versus you. I think a lot of times parents get confused about when we're supposed to discipline. We think, oh, my kid just isn't listening, so I need to teach them to listen now. But if your kid isn't listening in the moment and you're hot and you're frustrated <laughs> and everybody's trying to get out the door, that's not really a great time to discipline, actually. Mm -hmm. If you think of discipline as teaching, which if you think about what the word discipline means, it is to teach. It's not to punish. It's to you want, We want to help our kids learn more effective strategies for being in the world and for living in a harmonious family, whatever our values are, you know, whatever our goals are. What are some habits, some habits that um, we can share with the, the, the listeners that could potentially enhance their, their experience as a parent? Like any, any, and I know, you know, it, and I'm listening to you, it's, it's like very clear that like you have to really understand who you're dealing with in terms of your child, right? Mm -hmm. not, there's, there's human beings are human beings and everybody's different. And so you can't like, boom, put a stamp on like, all right, this is what you should do with all, all your kids. <laughs> but are there any habits that you've sort of, you, you, you implement on your, on yourself and also potentially share with your patients um, that have been successful in just like mm -hmm. setting these little humans up for success? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a couple, there's a bunch. There's an infinity, yeah. <laughs> but, but a couple good ones to start with are slow down. Our kids don't move as fast as we do. Their brains don't process information as fast as us. They don't process language as fast as us. They can't transition or shift sets like I'm doing this thing and now I have to do this thing. Cognitively, they don't do that as quickly. They move slower and their bodies are smaller. So it takes them longer. Like I, how many times have, and I've done this myself, where like you're walking down the street and you see a parent holding their kid's hand and like kind of dragging them along the sidewalk at their pace, like versus going real slow and going at their kid's pace. It's hard to do that. We live in a fast paced world and we usually have somewhere we need to be. Hmm. But when we can slow down, when we can prepare our kid for what's next, hey, we're gonna get in the car in a few minutes. I see you're playing with your stuff. You can finish up what you're doing 
and then we're going to get ready to go. We're going to go put our shoes on and get in the car. Lay it out. Lay it out. Let them know what's coming down the pike. Let them know what's happening. And even with like babies, I tell this all the time to parents who have babies, and a lot of times they're like, well, they can't understand what I'm saying. And it's like, of course they can't understand the words. But when you tell a child, hey, I'm going to pick you up now, and then you pause for just a second so they can actually take in that you have said something to them, and then you pick them up, there is a way in which you're communicating respect and moving at a pace that they actually can process. And then even if they don't know the words, I'm going to pick you up now, start, they'll start to anticipate when you get down close and you say, hey, I'm going to pick you up now. Pause. Okay. And now I pick you up. <laughs> That's so smart. I think you're going to apply that to everything in life. Oh, my God. I mean, how often should we slow down with ourselves? Like, I feel like we move too fast. I always appreciate when someone, like, talks more slowly with me and it, like, leans in and says, like, hey. How are you doing? Like you know, it's funny. You have said a couple of things that have stood out to me a lot. You 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 put like a highlight on discipline, and then we're talking about sort of slowing down. And <laughs> I've got a tattoo on my hand that says "Discipline equals freedom," and I've got a <laughs> tattoo on my ribcage that says "Slow is fast." Like these are reminders. Yeah, they're so. And I think it's so important that. The, I mean, I tattooed on, on, on my body to, to be like just like lifelong reminders for me mm -hmm. because I tend to um, move at a much faster pace than I am happy with at times, <laughs> you know. And I know for sure that like when I'm disciplined, I'm, I am the most free, the happiest, the, mm -hmm. the most on my game, you know. And it's so interesting that you brought that up with, with, with kids because I do believe that – you know, I, I watch and I I observe. I do think discipline is super duper important. You know, like there's a for years there was this onslaught of motivational speakers in the world of better for you wellness. Mm -hmm. You know, just motivational speakers. Lots of people talking about motivation, motivation. And then in the last like two years, the conversations changed, and it's like, oh yeah, it's not as much about motivation anymore. It's it's about discipline. Like motivation. Mm -hmm might get you off the couch, mm -hmm. but discipline is going to keep you moving. And mm -hmm. motivation is, you're not gonna have somebody screaming in your ear motivating you all day long. Yeah. So I feel like this idea that like discipline is so, so, so important to instill in our kids. Yeah. And I think, I think we sometimes are using discipline in two different ways, because I think, and I think I like the way you talk about discipline in the sense of like this intrinsic drive to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. Right? Totally. Versus discipline. Like hitting in, your kid. In in the, or even teach, you know, whether it's punishment or punitive discipline or just more like educational dis discipline, like problem solving. Like, but helping our kids to know where the edges are. Oh, that's not safe. I'm not going to let you do that. Um, that. I think that in childhood leads to the one that you're talking about, right? Because if you can discipline well, and I and I really, the word discipline's been so convoluted over the time. I really mean lead, right? Teach, right. Yep. guide. And with and who are the best leaders, teachers, guides, you know, that you know of? I'm imagining you're thinking of someone who is like solid, reliable, trustworthy, honest, models what they, you know, models what they preach. Um, Probably not someone who's like, just do what I say because I say so and 
I don't have to My explain thought. myself. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that's probably hard to learn how to have self-discipline when someone is screaming at you. Yeah. And when they're not explaining the why or showing you the how, right? If you just say, go to your room. You know, I, I just want to say, though, that I, I – so I – I grew up in a very, very dysfunctional household. It, like, if you took a snapshot of my, ch of, of my son is eight, my older son, my younger son is five, my relationship with my father when I was eight years old was horrendous. Mm. I'm talking about brutally bad. Physical, emotional, just not fun. Yeah. And I think I bring that up, and I've talked about it because I've got no sh – I've got no – I'm totally aware of it. I've come to terms with it. And I'm and I'm constantly doing work on it. But I will say that like anybody who's listening and we're talking about discipline and parenting, if you came from a dysfunctional household, mm -hmm. you might like before I had before I was married and before I had kids, I never thought in a million years that I would be okay as a father mm. or as a husband. I just you know, I, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, this happened to me. Mm -hmm. It always gets passed down the chain. Like, it always mm -hmm. gets passed down from generation to generation. It certainly did for my father. Yeah. My grandfather was a hardcore naval officer, military, World War II, kick your ass mm -hmm. dude. And my dad was, was, was not in the military, but he was worse, more militant than my grandfather. And so, like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that, like, if you came from that world. Yeah. You don't have to follow suit. No. You and and I look at my eight-year-old son and my five-year-old son, and I like look at these two boys. I mean, probably to a fault, honestly, because of how rough it was for me as a kid. Mm -hmm. I could never imagine, never, ever. I would. I could never imagine raising a hand to my kid. Never ever. Like. I don't know what would convince me that that would be something that'd be okay. Like, mm -hmm. at that age, you know, like if my 16, 18 year old son was trying to like hurt his mother, I would arrest that child and mm -hmm. I would make sure that that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I could never imagine. Like, so I just think it's just, it's so crazy to, to you know, there, there's a lot of people that I've spoken to over the years. I'm in recovery for 19 years now. Like. I've dealt with a lot of people that have come through tough times. Yeah. And the beauty of it is you don't have to, it doesn't have to come down the chain. No, you it know? doesn't. But it, it can if you aren't aware. Totally. And if you don't have a little bit of interest in doing the work to say, I want to do something different. But I think, too, you don't want to go completely in the other direction. I think sometimes it's like, <laughs> sometimes you know, I, you get... That's where the, you just pointed it out. Like, sometimes I'm like, like, my wife is definitely the disciplinarian, <laughs> without a doubt. And I'm very cool. I'm, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, hey, you know, like, the boys are like, yeah, mom's the boss. I'm like, I guess, you know, she is. She's the <laughs> boss. She's hardcore. But in, a, in the best possible way. Yeah. You know, so, like, I think you're right. You know, like, there probably could be a bit more assertiveness from my side of the street I'm the fun dad. I just It's am. good to be a fun dad. <laughs> it's okay to be a fun dad. I think I to just to go back to this idea of like what's a good habit we were saying go slow and I you know one of the other things is to help a kid know where the edges are like kids don't want to be in charge. That's scary. 
And even though they might in the moment want to be in charge, and they do because they want to like practice asserting their autonomy and they're playing around with that role of like, i am got this independence and this power, I want to use it. So in the moment, they might feel like they want to be in control, but their body doesn't want to be in control. They're, they're deep, deep down awareness that they are utterly dependent to survive on us. The idea that they might be more powerful than us would be existentially terrifying to their like inner unconscious psyche, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, they don't want to know. And that's, I think, when like, you see- Like as an example, can mm-hmm. we say like eight-year-old child sees mother face down on the ground mm-hmm. and that in itself is scary, but is it more scary for that child to now think that they're going to have to run the show alone? Of course, but even that's like super traumatic. Right. Like I'm just talking about in terms of like they can push our buttons and we snap. All of a sudden, oh, oh, they're in control. I'm in charge way. of that. I uh, just made you. I just made you do that. Wait, who's in charge here? Mm. Like I just I made you f- shake a little bit, and now what I have to do? My anxiety is kind of driving me to now check over here. Are you gonna? Are you do it if I do this? Are you going to have the same reaction if I do this? How about if I do this? And we see this as like what we often call like acting out behavior or pushing my buttons or like Mm. looking for a fight. And what I actually like to reframe that behavior as is like that is safety-seeking behavior. They are trying to figure out where the edge is. They're trying to say like, well, who is in charge here? If I go this far, will you come back to being in charge? Will you start being – Will you? and will it be scary or will it be – like, will you just yell at me or will you say, I'm not going to let you do, like, you know, will you contain me? And so I think we need to be the container for our kids. Um, we don't have to do that in a harsh and punitive way. We could do that in a very warm and loving and kind way, but still firm and clear and consistent. And I and my job is to keep you safe. My job is to keep you healthy. My job is to keep you clean. My job is to move you through the schedule of the day. My job is to make hard decisions. I have to do these things. That's my job. And I will do that because you can rely on me to do that. Even if it makes you mad in the moment. Even if you don't like it. Even if you're frustrated because I'm saying you can't do the thing you want to do. Now, will we be perfect at this? No. We will so – I definitely am like, fine, have dessert before dinner tonight. I just don't want to hear it anymore. Like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Pick my battles. Um, Sometimes I'm not like, okay, we're not brushing teeth tonight because it's just too, I'm not dealing with this meltdown, right? Whatever, like you can break the rules. You can do bad habits. It's not the end of the world. Do you want to do that every night? No. What is the habit though? Your kid is your kid is trying to find, figure out his boundaries mm-hmm. or her boundaries, right? What is, and, and they know, boop, mm-hmm. that one worked. Mm-hmm. That one got him, got mm-hmm. him to, to move. Yeah. Boop. That one made him really angry, but there's um, some something I like about it. You know, yeah. like now I can, I can, I can make that happen anytime. Yeah. What do you do? You gotta reset. How do you do that? You gotta name it. You gotta say, "Hey, we've been having a hard time around this lately. It has not been feeling good. I think we need to reset. Let me explain what the expectations are going forward. From now on, you know, when it's time to get ready for bed." I'm not going to say it 10 times. I'm going to help you go upstairs. I'll be with you to brush your teeth. And then we're going to go and read a book. And we're going to get in bed. And I'll lay with you for a little while. 
and then I'm going to go and I'll come and check in on you. Whatever the thing is, it yeah. doesn't really matter. He just Tell- said the whole entire thing. Like it's so funny. It's like hilarious that it's the same. Because it's the same. I mean, and I have the same struggles with my kids too. Like, and again, I I really want to be clear. The good parenting does not equate to no power struggles, total cooperation, obedient children. Kids are just not going to follow suit all the time. And that's really not a sign that you're parenting wrong, right? I think it's the aggregate. How are we doing in the aggregate? Mm-hmm. Are things feeling okay? Are they? Is there an area where it's like this really doesn't feel good and it keeps happening over and over and over again that we keep revisiting this, this, this you know, clash the same power struggle, the same issue. A lot of times we got to look at our behaviors because it's a lot easier to change our behaviors than change our kids' behaviors. And the beautiful thing about our relationship with our kids is we are in constant interaction with our kids. We're in a dance always, mm-hmm. right? If we move, if we shift, they will shift. They want to be in sync with us. It might not happen immediately, but if we are, and I always recommend do one thing at a time. Just focus on one problem area at a time. Don't try to change a million things. Like one problem area, one challenging spot, one dance that doesn't feel good, start to shift just there a little bit. I, um, so one thing that, that I think is important to, to talk about as we, as we finish here is I started with this structure or not structure. Right, mm-hmm. like we are, my wife and I parent, we're very structured with the way we do it. Yeah. There's a time that we eat every day. There's a time that we go to bed every single night. There is a, you know, like everything really does work on a schedule. And I do the same exact thing every single night with the boys when I put them down. Mm-hmm. And they look forward to it, even though they've yeah. been hearing it for the, since the day they're born. My older son, every night, whether I put him down or Donna puts him down, if Donna puts him, puts them down, he asks for me to come upstairs to say to him the thing that I say to him every single night because he wants me to say it to him. Yeah. He wants that consistency. He wants that structure. And I think it is something that not only is it, like, comforting for him. Very. But I think it's also setting a system in place of this is what we do, this is the routine that we that we follow mm-hmm. for success. And I can predict it, and I can expect it, I can rely upon it, it feels safe because of that consistency, that reliability. It makes so much sense. And like, yes, I, what I said earlier that like, it totally depends on your kids and some kids need more or less structure than others. I think, I think that's true. But I think all kids ultimately do benefit from structure. It's more the question of how much can your kid tolerate deviating from the structure? Mm -hmm. But there is an ideal sort of like core secure base, right? We want to be a secure base for our kid. That's part of that attachment system. Um, When we act as a secure base, our child can go and explore because they know they can come back to us and refuel. And they go and they come back and they go and they come back. We need to be there when they come back. And that doesn't mean we literally sit in one spot all the time. It just means we need to be predictable. And so when a kid has these routines and these rhythms and these rituals within the family system, and they can be flexible, but to a point, Mm -hmm. right? 
that is very comforting for kids and that is very stabilizing for kids. So I think I think err on the side of structure and sometimes everything is so complicated and nuanced, but like you don't want to get so far into the structure that you're rigid because rigidity is not attunement. So like what, so just unpack that for a minute. So like so far into the structure that you're rigid. So like is like same dinner time every night, same bedtime every night. Um, is that sort of like... I'll paint an example. So ideally, yeah, we have this sort of con- sort of reliable structure that we follow. Everyone, there's a rhythm that we can predict as a family. Mm-hmm. That's good. Let's say your kid is just having one of those really tough days. It's just a long day at school. They're just feeling that icky mood. And it's kind of a shit show. And they're like kind of on the floor, right, mm-hmm. in the kitchen. And they're really hungry. And they don't want to wait till dinner. And you're just like... No, we have to eat at dinner at the table because that's what we do. Mm. So you need to sit in the chair and you need to be with the family because that is what we do at this time. In reality, that's probably not meeting your kid's need in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. That's a little too rigid. Now, if that was all the time and they never ever wanted to sit at the table, we'd have to work on that skill. Right. But we move our way there slowly. We scaffold. We step-by-step step get there. We don't just expect that they could do it all the time. So it's, yeah, we have that structure, that routine, but... We also need to be flexible because we all have days where, you know what, this isn't going to go the way we hoped it would today, and we got to be kind of nimble. And so flexible. if there's like, so if there's a kid, if you're if you're struggling with your kids, and we have I mean friends that like have have crazy kids, have not crazy kids, but like if you're if there if you are having a hard time with a number of different arenas mm-hmm. with your child. Mm-hmm. Is the uh, is there a checklist that you can kind of go down and say, okay, well this is not something I'm doing that I should be doing or should try. Mm-hmm. This is something that I, I am doing that maybe I should try not doing. Like, yeah. And then let's fin- let's end it there because I think that is so that's the, that is the kind of thing that I think that somebody listening here can be like, hmm, really interesting. Like, I have not tried that. That, you know, like, f- for instance, I remember when we were, when we were um, like, just about to have our first son. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> We watched this this movie called uh, Happiest Baby on the Block. Yeah, yeah, Harvey Karp. Yeah, and we, our son Finn, was a tough sleeper. It's hard dude. He came mm-hmm. out. He was super small. Donna was preeclampsic. He needed to eat. He needed to eat every two hours. So we had to wake up and make sure that mm-hmm. he was eating. And you know, like, I applied the shit from. The happiest baby. Like I put the kid on my la- on the thing. I did yeah. the whole thing. Boom. I mean, and maybe that was just Finn, but it worked. It really worked. It was like, oh my gosh! I watched this thing. I remembered it. How he did it. I rewatched it. The first try, the thing on the legs. Mm-hmm. Then I put him on the arm, and before I knew it, boom, he's sleeping. Yeah. And it really did work. And and again, like obviously, you know, there's not a one size fits all. There's not. But I do think like it would be cool if there was like three things that any parent that's listening to this could be like, hey, like, is there something that I could potentially be doing that could change the outcome? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we haven't even talked about nervous system regulation, which is, I think, what you were doing when you were doing that with mm-hmm. your son. Um, but one, I think parents need to recognize that our kids have, and just like we do, we have we have this like nervous system that's kind of running the show on its like it it can take a life of its own, right? So when we have a threat response, our body's going to fight or flight our thinking brain, the prefrontal cortex we talked about earlier, goes offline. 
And we're not rational. We're completely instinctively like reactional in that moment. We're just kind of in survival mode. Mm. And it's the subjective perception of threat. So if a kid, it can be like my, my popsicle dropped on the floor. I'm in fight or flight. Right. You know, like it's not rational. It's not like, and it's subjective. It's not objective. It's not like I'm in a, everyone's going to agree right. that that's a threat. But in the moment it feels like a threat and now I've lost my shit and I'm just a mess. And like we can, we have to remember that when our kids are dysregulated, they are not able to do the things that they can do when they are regulated. So I think very importantly, parents need to understand the difference between a regulated child and a dysregulated child because a lot of times we will talk about behaviors as like, you made a bad choice or, you know, I, I need you to, to stop doing this. Like there's a volitional thing that they mm. can control. And in reality, when you are in fight or flight, it's not the behaviors that come out of that explosive state aren't really volitional. They're... They're like gut instinct reactions. They're being driven by a different part of the brain. Um, and so. And that's that's deregulated. Yes, dysregulated. Dysregulated. Mm -hmm. that's, when, that's when your child has experienced some sort of threat that is totally subjective mm -hmm. and fight or flight just takes over and yes. boom. Yes. And we go through it too, right? Have sure. you ever had that moment where you're just like. Yeah, you're just like, what the, what's going on? I can't deal with this right now. And like, you're just in fight. You're not your rational self. And it doesn't always look explosive. Sometimes it's a more like simmering inner thing where you're like, cut them off. I'm going to flick your toy off the table, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you, the kids just kind of mess with each other. Or, you know, if you come home, you've had a really bad day and you just kind of pick a fight with your partner. Like, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, you shouldn't bring mm -hmm. that up. You mm -hmm. shouldn't poke on that spot. But you're just irritated and you're agitated and you're just kind of like icky. Like that's also dysregulated. Um, also, when kids like laugh, that icky laugh, when they do something they know that they've done wrong, that can really piss off parents because you're like, that's so insolent. That's so disrespectful. You're mm -hmm. laughing when you did something so bad. And the reality is, is like that is an anxiety-based like fear, icky laugh. That's dysregulation. They are not mm. trying to laugh. It's like that uncomfortable, anxious feeling. So things that you can do as parents. One is to just kind of understand how to tell when your child may be dysregulated or 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 is regulated and understand and have some empathy for the fact that they may not be on they're not trying to do this. And the best way to get a child regulated is to recreate a sense of safety, deactivate the amygdala, turn that threat it. response off. Safety, connection, I see you, you're mad. Okay, I'm not gonna add fuel to your fire. I'm not gonna be gasoline for you right now. I'm not gonna come in saying, what are you so mad about right now? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna be really calm, which is hard to do as a parent, I know, because it's like, ah. But if I can practice my own regulation, take a deep breath, come in slow, whoa. You're really mad. I am not going to let you throw that thing on the floor. That's not okay. But I'm not going to scream at you and make you pick it up right now because it's like that's not the time. You have to get them back to the sense of safety. So co-regulation, let me share my calm nervous system with you. Let me speak to your amygdala, not your mm. prefrontal cortex. Let me, let me show my you. my calm nervous system with you. Yeah, through my body language, my facial expressions, my tone of voice, my posture. We're safe. This is okay. Hmm. This feeling will pass. I mean, you say it, it's so crazy. Like, I never thought about that sharing the, the nervous system thing. But that is ultimately as well, and I'm not comparing parenting to owning an animal or a dog. 
But with a dog, mm-hmm. they are they are you know typically they're you know it's it's explained that they're reading your 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 body language, mm-hmm. but really what they're reading is your nervous system. Yes, and it's that sweet. it's so crazy how that can communicate. Yeah, and humans do it too. We are always reading each other's nervous system. We have mirror neurons to help us read each other's emotions. We have an amygdala that's always scanning for cues in other people's nervous systems to say like, oh, there's a threat response and his twitch, his eyes twitching, his muscles are tensing up. Something's, gonna, something's not safe. I'm gonna get into that threat response too. Like that's a, that's evolutionary, right? That's safe. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna walk in with a calm, cool, collective mm-hmm. nervous system. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what other? Give me like one or two other. That's a great one. I feel that piece right there. Not only do I think that that's so powerful for parenting, but man, I think that's powerful for like anything that Human that I would imagine that you're trying to really, really be thoughtful and mindful on helping shape someone's psyche mm-hmm. could be applied to anything in life. Absolutely. Right? Totally, because we're we're a very relational society. Yeah. But okay, so yeah, you need to use your nervous system, and stop talking so much. Mm-hmm. You know, because that part of the the language part of the thinking part is offline, so language isn't going in. So you're talking to a wall. Just use your body, use your tone, and then slowing down, preparing. So I oftentimes like if if we're having a really challenging like if things are just feeling icky all the time. I often tell parents to do like a little behavioral audit, like just kind of look at where where in the day are we having the the clashes. It's usually there's a pattern. There's usually a time of day or a couple other things that happen to happen at the same time. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's around when we have urgency or an agenda, right? We want them to go to bed so mm. we can be done parenting. We need to get out of the house in the morning because we will be late to work. Um, Nervous system. Nervous system, but so, but if but if you can deconstruct the areas that are tra- challenging, and look at your behaviors, not to say they are causing it, but that you and your child are in a dance all the time. So if you shift your dance, they might shift theirs. If it's always a struggle to get out of the house in the morning, are you manic in the morning? Are you rushing around? Are you urgent? Are you running late? And so you're getting riled up. Can you wake up 15 minutes earlier? Can you pack the bags mm-hmm. and the lunches the night before? Can you set your kids' clothes out with them so that increasing these opportunities for more autonomy that's a little bit more reachable, it's called scaffolding, like get them closer to the finish line so they can cross it themselves and then slowly work backwards, decreasing the support. But we want to make our kids' lives and our home um, compatible with their abilities so that they can take on more autonomy but we can't expect them to do things the way we do them if we don't help them. This is such a great conversation. I have to have you back on because I really, I, I think like it's, it's. I mean, the, the podcast is a, is like a 30 to 40 minute podcast. There's too much content here that I, I'm, I'm so excited to learn more about. Awesome. So we're going to have to do this again. I love it. Um, this was so great. Where can, where can the people listening find you? Yeah, well, if you're on a podcast... You can check out Securely Attached podcast because we talk a lot about this stuff. And that's anywhere you find podcasts. And then you can go to drsarahbren.com. There's courses on there. Um, There are tons of free resources, lots of guides, lots of things that you can take away from there. And then if you are looking for parenting support and you are having, you know, whether you in the New York State area, my group practice, we work with families and children and parents. We specialize in like maternal mental health and 
parenting support and individual child therapy, all this stuff. We work with the family as like a system. Um, so if you're in New York, you can go to Upshurbren Psychology or Upshurbren.com and find us there. And then we also do parent coaching nation- nationally because we can work outside of New York for parent coaching. That's so awesome. Yeah. Dr. Sarah, this was great. Thank you so, so much. Um, I, I love, I think the biggest takeaway for me is really just being mindful about my nervous system, being mindful about the, the energy that is ultimately created from my nervous system that I exude when I walk into a room, whether I'm in a parenting situation, in a work situation, in a socializing situation. Mm-hmm. Our nervous system is, it's just so, I, I've never actually thought about it that way. Yeah. And I think it's so, so, um, it, it distills it. Yeah. You know? it it's an underrated it. parenting tool that parents do not think about enough. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creatures of Habit. Um, as you know, I appreciate and love you all. It would mean the world to me if you wrote a five-star review and, uh, and, and rating. It, would really, it really helps the podcast grow. Um, I owe you guys some giveaways, so I will be doing that ideally over the next. I'll be I'm doubling up on the giveaways over the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was such a great episode. Please share this with anyone who you think would appreciate it, anyone who you think it would bring value to. Um, it certainly brought value to me today, and uh, I can't wait to have Dr. Sarah Bren on the show again because I got so much more I want to talk about in the realm of parenting. Maybe we're going to have a, a recurring parenting expert on the show because I really do think that learning from people that exp- – you know, parenting is such a tough – it's such a hard thing to navigate, especially if you weren't given a very, very good blueprint. Um, you know, and not everybody, lots of people were not given great blueprints. A lot of people have really busy parents, sick parents, parents that were just not meant to be parents potentially. And there you have it, folks. I hope we delivered some valuable content for you to implement into your life on a daily basis. Please remember that our habits have the power to make us or break us. Replacing bad habits with great ones is the answer to living a life of happiness, optimism, and high performance. We are capable of achieving anything. We all have what it takes to give it all we've got. Commit to one great habit each day and truly commit and watch how everything in your life starts evolving from good to great. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating and a nice review that will help us grow this podcast, bring on more amazing guests, and continue to deliver invaluable content on a weekly basis. Lastly, please share this podcast with any friends or family that you think might appreciate it. And always remember, want plus do equals have. Until the next one, fam. Peace.